Hey, everybody, I want to welcome you again to the Before You Quit podcast, where we want to bring courage and perspective when serving gets hard, and man, does it get hard sometimes. That is why we do what we do on these podcast episodes. My name is Mitch Schultz, and I am the director of a ministry called Fruitful Vine Ministry, and I'm also your fine host for these podcasts. Good to have you with us. I have the privilege this morning to talk to a friend. We joked before doing the podcast that I probably would need a translator. We ended up not finding an interpreter because, well, they're just hard to find. He's got a thick British accent, uh, but I think you will understand him quite well. Uh, Most of all, I think you're going to understand the depth of his story, uh, the work of grace, the call of God upon his life. His name is Glenn Wanless. Glenn grew up in the northeast part of England near Newcastle. Uh, came to faith there later in his uh, in his 20s, called into ministry, ended up pastoring here in the States. He's married to Vivian, has two kids, Rachel and David, who are also now in the U.S. Uh, but I wanted you to hear his story because it's just a, a reminder of how God works in the ordinary things of life. But also we, we have a good discussion about... Uh, just the uh, the spiritual dynamics going on in Europe, particularly England, and how uh, similar that is to what is happening here in the States. So it's a, it's a probing, thought-provoking conversation that we have together. So I'm going to go ahead and jump into that right now. Okay, I have the privilege of interviewing a good friend of mine, a pastor and friend by the name of Glenn Wanless. Glenn, you are in Florida. Good morning. Good to see you this morning. And uh, people are going to pick up right away that uh, your accent is a little different. So we'll... Just a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll uh, we'll let people hang there a little bit and try to figure out where's this guy from. But I I got a great title for this podcast. It's simply called The Story of Glenn Wanless. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's so, riveting. Yeah, so this yeah, it's riveting. Uh, so this this is an exciting one to me. We've known each other for quite some years, and and your your story's uh, just a real interesting story. And I, I think sometimes I like to pause from uh, just having you know discussion around certain hot topics, and right. just have people tell their story. So uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, you know, what you're doing, maybe briefly how you ended up doing. That's going to be more the content of this whole thing. And uh, I love to ask also in my podcast, what drives you? What's your passion mm-hmm. besides soccer or football? Right. Yeah, still playing soccer at my right old age. Uh, yeah, a uh, bit about me, Glenn uh, Wanless, obviously from the UK, from Northeast England, uh, born in Hartlepool, but uh Finished up ministry in Newcastle for five years before coming to the USA. So you're a you're a Geordie. Well, I'm not strictly speaking, but in broader terms, that's what people call me. Yeah, yeah, because that's a Newcastle. People from Newcastle are are Geordies, yeah. right? What's what's that's behind right. that? Sorry, we're getting off topic already. But no, no, hey. it's okay. I, to be honest, I don't know the root of that. I just know that you. You're just like Scouse is for the Liverpool. Liverpool, yeah. London and Geordie is, you know, Newcastle specifically. People in Sunderland don't, which is south, don't Mm. carry that. They're called Wearsiders. So uh, you've got to be very careful in those geographical locations not to offend anyone. 
Is it a derogatory when you say Jordy or Scouse? No, no, no. It's it's, it's not. It's just uh, no. describing where you're yeah, from. Yeah, just like, like you're a southerner. Yeah. You're a northerner. You're a mid midwesterner. Right. Yeah. But so it's not like saying you're a redneck or a hillbilly or something like that, which can have a not that I know of. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> There's probably other names that we can't repeat for that. So yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, again, we'll we'll hear more. I don't want you to share more about yourself yet because that's really the the content here. But uh, yeah, what mm -hmm. what drives you? What what do you find at this stage in your life? Because you're sixty. One sixty-two, sixty-two. Yeah, I saw you almost fell off your chair there, Mitch. When I know. Well, I know you well enough, and you're yeah. still a phenomenal soccer player. Uh, but yeah, at this stage in life, what do you what do you find yourself that uh, what what do you find that drives you and you're passionate about? Yeah, yeah, I still have a real strong passion to finish well. Um, mm -hmm. Part of <laughs> you what I see unfolding in the USA is a greater, well, not just the USA, globally as well. A uh, great agency for preaching the gospel to take the windows of opportunity that we still have, even in America, not knowing what the future would hold. Mm. So really, you know, my love for the for God, my love for the Lord, and my passion, you know, for for souls, for discipleship, for church planting, kingdom advancement. Mm -hmm. you know, it really flows out of just a deep appreciation for what God has done in my own life, yeah. as well. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it wasn't always that way for you. You you really came to faith later in life. Yeah. Uh, so tell us about a, a little bit about your upbringing. Yeah. Uh, you know, where you grew up, also your, you know, the spiritual uh, climate of that time in your life. And, you know, what was who were the people instrumental to you coming to faith? Yeah. So I grew up in a post-Christian, post-modern culture. Uh Went to church maybe three times before I was 23 uh, for a funeral wow. or mm. a, a wedding. So no really Christian sort of input in the family setting. Traditionally at school, uh, we would sing hymns and, you know, English, British curriculum. Uh, religious instruction would be part yeah, of that. Yeah, so from, from, my, from my time there, it yeah. was really required. Religious education was a required course. Yeah. And yeah. um, and so there was, you know, I, I I think sometimes if you have the right person around, you know, like a pastor right. or a clergy that able to come in, it's rare, but they they can come in and, and share the gospel. Right. Yeah, right, right. But to a large extent, from politics and the culture at large, no real Christian you know influence. Really so as, as a child, what was your perception of of Christianity? It was very negative. Most of and I think America is in this place a little bit. I know we're going to talk about that later on. Mm -hmm. Where organized religion and your know, traditional uh, church going was for me something I could see through to a large extent that was hypocritical and and therefore <clears throat> negative. The people who would be described as religious, who obviously weren't born again, spirit filled Christians, uh, what they displayed wasn't attractive in in a sense of hey, I'm looking for the meaning of life and these guys have got it. So largely not and hardly any Christian TV. Songs of Praise would be something on the BBC that you'd see occasionally, but again, it would be depicting dead religion rather than what did exist, but I think came across a more vibrant, lively relationship with Christ that mm -hmm. a minority of people uh, encountered, but the majority of the culture and even the religious subculture mm -hmm. Uh, didn't know anything about so, so you probably did not negative. know any you did not know any christians really growing up then did you 
No, no, I never met mm. what I would describe as a born-again Christian, a committed Christian, until really later in life. And unfortunately, I met the more religious Pharisee, Sadducee types of religious mm. people that you know, would say they were Christians, but not really displaying a life in order with that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, what, what, how did that change? When did that change? Yeah, so actually I was over in uh, Germany. Uh, I worked in Germany for some time in my late teens, early 20s. And um, my brother, Ian, who still lives in Germany, had been visiting, actually, uh, a Christian coffee bar in the red light district of Hanover, Germany. Uh, Unbeknown to me, this is an interesting Mm. story. So I was there, actually, with my girlfriend at the time, Vivian, uh, and he invited me to go with him on my motorcycle to visit. Didn't say anything about Christianity, just said, hey, I've met some people. Uh, I'd like to take you with me to this cafe Subsequently, in the cafe, there was actually a missionary who was Scottish from Scotland, but he was based in uh, Hanover, Germany, and he was a missionary sent out from there into India, and he'd been talking to my brother. He was actually there that evening. So for the first time, I was able to sit in listening to a conversation between my brother and this missionary as he shared his testimony very graphically and very honestly, which sort of blew me away. I was really astounded at his honesty. And just like most people in their teens, you ask these first order questions. Is there a God? Where did I come from? Is there more to life than this? But never really being able to talk with anyone or hear someone explain the uniqueness of Jesus. So we spent a couple hours there. Uh, I was supposed to come back to have dinner with Vivian and my brother's girlfriend. We got back about midnight. Uh, But for the first time, there was something that was triggered in my heart that really drew me to explore Christianity. Uh, So after that, uh, we ended up going back to England and I actually opened a Bible for the first time. It was a King Mm. James uh, Bible. This is amazing God's hand and finger and guidance is upon drawing people to himself. And uh, I remember reading the Proverbs, unusual place to to read when you have a look at the Bible. And always had a sense up until this point that I wanted to be free without taking drugs or alcohol, uh, but didn't know how to find freedom. And I read this proverb, I, I still quote it in the King James, uh, where it says, wine is a mocker, strong drink is a raging, and anybody who's deceived thereby is not wise. And it really resonated mm-hmm. with what I was observing. Uh, subsequently, my sister, who had been in Brunei in the Far East with her husband, uh, and they'd lost her, their do- only daughter in a horrific fire when she was mm. almost two. They almost lost their lives as well. She came back to England around this time and uh, was on antidepressants. And we began to look at the Bible together. Mm. And, uh, you know, there was some contact mm. with the Jehovah's Witnesses, but you know, God had his hand upon us. And then amazingly, she went to a church through a flyer that came through the door uh, with about evangelist who was in town. And up until that point, we talked about believing in God, but no personal relationship with Christ. Mm -hmm. So she goes to this church and gets born again. She gets saved. Mm -hmm. Then she returns, comes back, and begins to share with me more aggressively about the gospel and the need to Mm -hmm. see Christ, the uniqueness of Jesus. And I'm saying, well, I believe in God, as most people do, you know, more, not personally, but an abstract, hey, there's some God out there. Mm -hmm. And she began to share her uh, testimony with me. So she was one of those significant people. Then she went back to this church and uh, had a deeper experience with God. 
uh, a crisis experience or, you know, where she was filled with the Holy Spirit. And I never forget because when she came back, I knew my sister really well. She could never give up smoking. She's on these antidepressants. She's a heavy smoker. And she says to me, I've lost the desire to smoke. I, you know, the Holy Spirit mm. now lives in me. And she just quit smoking wow. uh, instantly. And then I saw some of the other healing begin to take place. So that was something that really captivated me and brought me into a you know more sobering. Yeah, you're seeing the reality of that, yeah. uh, the trust and faith. Well, it's amazing that, and I hear this happen a lot, where particularly in cultures where the presence of, of Christianity is, is very, very small, you know, almost somewhat absence, uh, absent, right. that it, it takes someone going somewhere else mm-hmm. uh, out of your context and there you, you find, you know, you're exposed to the gospel. And of course, a lot of it, you know, in terms of making a commitment took place when you were back in England. Yeah. But that's, uh, that's always been phenomenal to me. I know there's a, uh, some years ago, I was attending a church planting uh, seminars, a particular guy by the name of Dwight Smith. I think you might know him. Yeah, I do, yeah. Uh, and he uh, he shared how what they've observed here in the States is that any any large city, urban area, where the presence of the gospel in, in terms of percentage of people who are believers, whenever that drops below 10%, um the the gospel will have to come from the outside for there to be right. any any revival and 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 also with that is when people leave their that context and go somewhere else and in your case through your brother through this yeah. coffee shop uh it's uh, that's always been a phenomenal to me and it just reminds us again how providential god is that uh, he uses the you know seemingly ordinary normal events in life and and that's the right. That's the, uh, you know, how he moved things. and uh, Yeah, and it was just yeah. very powerful. You know, as I eventually give my life to Christ through my sister's testimony. Mm-hmm. And then I ended up calling my brother in Germany, sharing with him. And he flew back to England because he saw a huge change in me. Mm-hmm. And uh, I still laugh because I long for days like this. And you could resonate with this as a pastor where he's asking my sister and I, we're young Christians, well, what do I, what do I have to do? And mm-hmm. we said, well, let's take you to see the pastor. And he lived across the street and knocking on his door and saying, hey, this is my brother. He wants to become a Christian. Come on in. And just, you know, just a real move mm-hmm. through our friendships. We're still going out of pubs and sharing with our network of lost people. And like you said, just he called his girlfriend in Germany and she went to a church when he was in England. Mm-hmm. She got born again. So just a real move of the spirit uh, that was very authentic, mm. but very relational, but got, as you say, impacted from yeah. the outside. So you went, when you went to Germany and he took you to that coffee mm-hmm. shop, he was not a believer himself. No, no he was just point. seeking. All yeah. So he, the Lord used him to bring you to the Lord, and then that later brought him to the Lord. That's fascinating. <laughs> yeah, and it was funny because when he came to England, he said, I've been like searching for God because he took me to mm. that cafe. How come you two, my sister and I, found God before me? He was like, <laughs> understand it yeah it's it's so that we would have the privilege privilege to share with you and see you come to faith that's yeah <laughs> wow that's wonderful so was vivian your wife no no we all were happening you know, with her at the same time yeah or? we were actually living together at the time which is again become very very common now in the united states 
you know, part of where I'm at in these cultural shifts is to recognize a lot of people, including myself at that time, were in a lot of ignorance, not understanding the the nature of covenant and marriage and its uniqueness and perceiving it like a lot of people as, well, it's just a piece of paper. Uh, but when I did get saved, you know, the conviction of the Holy Spirit, the church navigated, we were engaged to be married. So I got became a born-again Christian at the end of March in 1984. And then we were engaged to be married at the end of May of the same year. Billy Graham was actually in England doing Mission England this time. So I did take Vivian to hear Billy Graham uh, speak. She wasn't ready to go forward. Uh, but we were still sort of living together for about a month. And then I remember feeling convicted, increasingly waking up and saying to Vivian, I don't think this is right. Nobody has said anything. I'm reading mm. a little bit of the Bible. Nobody in the church. Dramatically against my normal going to nightclubs five nights a week uh, when we were dating. No sort of Christian religious, even moral sort of compass at that time. But when the Holy Spirit, he comes in, uh, just the conviction where I said, hey, you need to go home and stay with your parents till we married. Didn't really explain that really well. She thought I was calling <laughs> off our marriage. Uh, subsequently, uh, we were able yeah. to clarify that. But she went and stayed with her parents till we were actually married. Wow. Wow, that's phenomenal. And then, and then after we were married, probably about a month, I know it's you you're going to ask this question and I'll jump into it now. Uh, she became a Christian uh, after the church showed a lot of love and grace to her. As is common in situations where, like myself, my sister, some of my friends have became Christians, you're often very zealous, but with very little sensitivity. So we mm. were bombarding her. You need to repent. You need to get <laughs> saved. And she's like, who's the... But she was invited to go to the church to receive a wedding present. And in that loving environment, it softened her mm. uh, and opened her heart to you know, prayer, prayer of repentance. Just one night when she was in bed and sort of spoke to me and I was half asleep. And then she woke me in the morning and said, you know, I've accepted Christ and submitted oh. my to him. And oh, praise the Lord. Wonderful day. Yeah. It's amazing to me how by you coming to faith and having a little exposure to the scripture that there was this instinctive awareness of, of what was right, what was wrong, you know, in terms of, of your, mm -hmm. your living together. And, uh, you know, I think it's, it's good for, for us to be reminded that this is a, yeah. a supernatural work of, of regeneration, but also transformation. Amen. And, uh, it's, it's great to hear that part of the story. Cause I think we need to be reminded of the, the wonder of, uh, of of what takes place when someone comes to faith in Christ. Yes. Um, so let's jump ahead. Then you you are now a pastor. You're in the U.S. Uh, you're a believer now. Back in England, you know, some years ago, you're you're in your early twenties. Uh, you became a you were drawn to ministry there. Tell us how that happened. Who you connected with? What were the influences? Yeah, because that's not a normal thing that happens. You know, people come, particularly in in that context and culture. You know, someone comes to faith is like, I think I'll be a pastor. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but so obviously, radically, you know, converted and transformed, and you know, uh, had a sense of some sort of calling, and you know, even a sort of five year period, but never dreamed I would be a pastor, church planter, be in ministry. Actually, was a little bit more introverted and shy. Uh, with 
speaking in front of people. But I always remember I got discipled really well. And, you know, this is a real good opportunity to say that when discipleship is done more authentically and biblically, mm-hmm. then you don't need to have added classes for evangelism, sacrifice, service. Authentic mm. disciples want to serve, they want to sacrifice, uh, they want to use their gifting. So I had a wonderful pastor who invested time in me, and I had time because I wasn't working uh, to be able to go visit with him. But I'll never forget an occasion, I'd probably been a Christian about a year, we were visiting in a family, and uh, the mother had made a comment about, I could see you being a pastor one day to me, wow. which sort of scared the life out of me at that time. <laughs> uh, so... You know, I didn't dismiss that, but increasingly I became an elder in the church after about three or four years. I was just drinking in the Bible, just mm. you know, chasing after God with all my heart and just saw rapid growth transformation taking place. Uh, and it was around that five-year period, just felt <clears throat> you know, compelled to go for training and go off to seminary. Uh, not knowing if we, I was going to be a missionary or but some sort of ministry or a pastor even at that point, but knew that there mm-hmm. was a call. And God had confirmed that very clearly for both Vivian and I, even to the point where we, we sold our house in a street, a townhouse, where two or three other houses hadn't sold for a year. We prayed very simply. This is just mm-hmm. a testament of God's amazing grace. Hey, Lord, you can sell this house quickly. Have the realtor to come out. Uh, look at the house, put it up for a price. Didn't even get the for sale sign up and called within two hours and said, I've got somebody in my office who's looking for a house just like yours. Can I send her around even though I just, you know, we haven't got the for sale sign up. She came, walked around the house, said, I love the house. I'll give you the asking price. And we sold it. So just nice. amazing. God paved yeah. the way for us to go off. The people from the other homes, they should have uh, Stone become me. a pastor and <laughs> yeah, gone into yeah. ministry. Their houses would have sold a lot quicker. Yeah. So this so, is all happening in the early 90s, right? Because that's about yeah, the time yeah. that, that we Yeah, our late, late 80s, you know, early 90s, mm-hmm. yeah. This is unfolding as uh, we go off to Berwick-upon-Tweed, which is in England, but we actually lived in Scotland. Say that, word, say that name again. Berwick, not Berwick, Berwick-upon-Tweed. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Thanks. <laughs> it's just I used to always love that name and names like that when we lived there. <laughs> All right, so you're uh, you're in uh, in 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 Bible training, ministry training up in the north uh, part yeah. of England, and uh, and I think that's about the time where you started meeting some some of the folks from the Christian Missionary Alliance who right. you worked with. And uh, tell us a little bit about that connection, and then I'd like to start talking a little bit about you know your movement from there to the states and yeah. and then we we do want to talk I want to talk a little bit too about just the environment spiritual environment there in England yeah and yeah. and how you perceive so. all that yeah love to so yeah in uh upon tweed and was always uh familiar with A.W. Tozer, read several of his books, but was totally unfamiliar with the Christian Missionary yeah, It's amazing how many British evangelicals are aware of Tozer. Yeah, yeah, very well-received and wonderful. Uh, but we used to have a Friday night missions night, so a core curriculum of, of the seminary I was at was on missions and from the faculty and who taught from various different denominational backgrounds. And then even student-wise, we had students from every Christian tradition, but from every part of the world. So very enriching for all the right reasons experience. 
But on one of those Friday nights, John Croston, who you know very, very well, he's with the Lord now, uh, he came up to speak at uh, one of these evenings. And then through talking about Toza, uh, began to talk about the Christian Missionary Alliance. So it was really through John Croston, who obviously you know pastored in primarily in Florida, but also in the UK. Mm-hmm. Uh, but was in the UK at that time as an Alliance missionary and and came and shared at uh, at the seminary where I attended. So that was the exposure to the Christian Missionary Alliance. It was in my first year. And as I say, I didn't know anything about the Alliance at that time. Yeah, and then when we went there in 92, you had, uh, there's just the network that we were working with. You were part of that and pastor the church. And then that's how we uh, got to know each other uh, quite well. We've we've been great friends. You've been an yeah. encouragement to me. Uh, you know, through yeah. we almost worked we together we in, in church. Yeah, we did. It, it almost happened. Things. That's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. Originally, we were appointed to work up in the Newcastle area, yeah. and we end up working on the other side of the country. Uh, actually, John Crossan, who you're talking about, he I took his place at that church in uh, that's right in the northwest of England. Uh, l- before talking about your your move to the states, uh, I want to hear a little bit about just what the spiritual environment was like for you. You talked a little bit about what it was like growing up, but you know, for someone who's not so familiar with with England or the UK, um, and when we talk about the UK, that's just simply adding. Wales, Ireland, and Scotland to right. uh, to well, it's it's larger than that. So Britain, Britain would be those countries, and then the UK would probably you'd be adding more to that. But anyway, that's not what this podcast is about. <laughs> um, but yeah, just describe that uh, the the spiritual environment and and how did it get there, and how much are we becoming like that? It's one of the things that we hear yeah, a lot. Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah. Yeah, so historically, you know, you go back 100 years, people like in America, you know, I've been here 20 years, even on my arrival, are brought up culturally to attend church. Each generation, there's an element of that getting watered down and becoming more acceptable, more ingrained in the sort of Christian subculture in Mm. in the society. So Britain, the United Kingdom went through those trends. By the time I'm growing up, it's, it's on the latter side where people have stopped going to church for religious reasons they'd rather be out playing golf in the shopping mall and sadly are just more serious about their faith so even in the second church plant that i was involved in in newcastle which is a a city of probably about seven hundred thousands, i was in a locality of about thirty thousand people within that there's maybe two maximum three evangelical churches bible believing churches so your, your culture is just postmodern, post-Christian, yeah. and really di- disconnected from uh, even some heritage it once enjoyed. Uh, so there's massive direct parallels between where America is now. Even from 20 years ago, I had a conversation with a friend and said, when I arrived and I walked into Walmart, it had a, a section for Christianity, music, mm. even if you could it'd be across, there'd be doves, there'd be in, in all the secular stars. You Interesting. You're right. You're point. right. I've not thought about that. Yeah. So That's even it. in the 20 years you've been in the States, you have seen a big shift take place yeah. in our culture. Yeah. And I live in Florida. So, you know, if you go to New York, Los Angeles, you know, it's still, you know, got some Christian influence. But even in where I'm at, all of that's gone now in, yeah. in America. Yeah. So I would say there's a lot of direct parallels with those shiftings into 
you're postmodern, post-Christian. I, I listened to Ed Stetzer about six years ago. I was up at the Cove, Billy Graham place, and he talked about, and he was very accurate about like three categories of cultural shift that were coming. He said, you've got like evangelicalism in, in America, and then you've got you know, this large sort of sympathetic cultural base that's not Christian, mm-hmm. but leans towards Christianity. And then you've got this growing postmodern, post-Christian, materialistic. Yeah. And he said, what's going to happen is, uh, this sympathetic group is going to be swallowed up and become post-Christian, post-modern, uh, and you know, relativistic in its thinking and everything. Evangelicalism is going to be pushed out to the center of the culture, uh, and that's pretty much the, the good side of that is it thrives best when it's on the outside because it's more mm-hmm. authentic, but it, it invokes pre- persecution, etc. So very, very similar. There's a few different things to do with... <clears throat> your postmodern thinking and, and what has happened with relativism and how that's morphed into wokeism and the, the language mm-hmm. we're using now and you know uh you know abstract, abstract truth versus you know uh of that yeah. nature yeah. so all of that is i actually made the statement probably about a year ago where i said to some friends of mine who are pastors hey i feel like i'm doing ministry like i did in the united kingdom the spiritual yeah. climate shifted the cultural climate interesting definition a nation that honors god with a judeo-christian worldview will receive blessing and protection when it moves in the other direction it invokes the, the other gods of what we see yeah and it's so it's so gradual we don't even notice it exactly. you know, it's like there's moments where we have to have a conversation like this you know i mean even how how vivid that was when you talked about walmart used to have a section you know for for christians uh now you have sections that you know represent the right you know other other things that are antithetical to that i think you really hit it on the head when you said that each generation uh softens the gospel or right. softer on the gospel that that's really that that's a really probing thought uh, you know, to get, to go deeper a little bit into this, but not to go too long with it. I, I know when we were in England, um, I read a book by Martin Robinson called The Faith of the Unbeliever, which was helpful to me for me to understand, you know, the, the climate, spiritual climate in England. Right. Uh, but he said that after World War II, uh, the people abandoned God, but found no adequate replacement for him. Right. So it has left people in a vacuum. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, what was phenomenal, and you and I were talking a little bit about this before we recorded, that you know, in our where we pastored in England, people were hungry. I mean, we would just meet people outside, you know, waiting for the kids to come out of school, or just through mm-hmm. other normal but obviously providential ways, and. And uh, and people were hungry spiritually, you know. And, right. But there's a lack of presence. I and mean, when you talked about you know Newcastle only having three churches, I know in Warrington where we were, it's uh, you know probably four or five churches uh, right. to a hundred thousand people or whatever, and and that's foreign to us here, you know. But yeah. uh, but it's it's likely that we're going to see that uh, take place here as well. Um, yeah, well, that's yeah, really it, interesting. So yeah. I was just saying, and you know, as a top of the pastors consult, and you often say that you know, a lot of church buildings in America are going to become empty, you know, because mm-hmm. the same typical response is, hey, 
we'll do the same things. People are going to come in culturally through the doors into a church building. All of that is drying up rapidly. Yeah. So not once, but twice when I was in the UK, you may remember this, we got the use of, from the FIEC, buildings where we we planted Christian Missionary Alliance churches. So I say, don't we spend millions of dollars on, on a, a new building or facility that sadly in a more religious context is usually empty apart from a Wednesday mm-hmm. for an hour and a half on a Sunday. Wait around and you, you'll get opportunities to uh, get a building because churches are going to close en masse. I, I yeah, tell you that. Yeah. And you see in the UK, you'll have seen, I shared the story with you one time that in my hometown, a huge Wesley chapel that closed became the Wesley nightclub. Yeah. And art galleries, yeah. museums are all. I used to show that building. picture to people when, yeah. when I would speak. When we would have slide projectors, I had a slide of that church. Yeah. <laughs> but tell us a little bit about the transition then to pastoring, you know, from, from England to, to here. And and I'm I'm interested to know if you struggled with that, knowing you were at that time leaving uh, a, a you know a context where from you know the surface it might seem like the needs were greater. Uh, so did you also struggle with that? That I'm you know I'm leaving what's harder for something easier. That, that that's just the perception. I know that that's not right. what was going on. No, uh, no, but that's going to be in people's minds. And so, yeah. 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 So, yeah. Great question, Mitch. You know, I think on a human level, very much so, we planted two churches, expected to go plant a third church. You spent five years in in Washington, England, in the Northeast, uh, and then went to Newcastle to plant a second church where we were there for five years thinking we would go and maybe plant another church. The original Washington, by the way. That's right. George George Washington was actually born there. Yeah, came from there. Uh, But then during this sort of transition, getting ready, God was opening some doors to come to the USA through John Crosson to do some other ministry. And it was just after 9-11 that we thought, well, hey, we... I took it on in both those churches, taken on an associate pastor, and you had gone on to be the lead pastor. Uh, but in that coming for both a vacation and then just to explore, hey, God seems to be opening doors to come to the United States. This is unusual. And the simple answer, while on a human level, there's a tension, because the reality is just like today, uh, but certainly way back then, much more need for the gospel in the United Kingdom than in the United States, particularly in the mm-hmm. South, Florida, where I actually came to but still felt a real conviction for both Vivian and I, and even that journey with our kids, which was massive. My son was 16, daughter coming up 13, to to emigrate to another country uh, where we're supposed to speak the same language, but actually very, very different. Uh, My son graduating high school and going straight into college at 16 because she graduated high school at 16 in the United Kingdom was a huge, huge undertaking, but God, through a series of events, made it very clear that that's where he was leading us. Yeah, so anybody who might think like, oh, that was a, a easy move, you know, particularly for ministry, Yeah, from a ministry perspective, you've got two teenagers who are being asked to adjust yeah. to a whole new life, you know, right. relationally, culturally. Yeah, yeah. So on one level, you know, there's a sense in, as you quite rightly asked, the needs are greater in the United Kingdom, but on another level, God really convincing, not even knowing at that time, but increasingly over this last uh, number of years, even more so now, 
but even then, but to a greater degree as time unfolded, there's things that need to be spoken, shared, preached about, uh, people informed about where America is. And I think you asked or alluded to one of the things that really culturally sort of struck, struck us. So when we first arrived, and I recognize and, you know, I think I have the liberty to say this now in our, in our present climate. Certainly back then when we came from the UK, we didn't say anything. But I recognize after 9-11, there was a lot of patriotism that was very strong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and in some of that got used after 9-11 to bring people into churches and, and even people to come back or, or actually encounter God for the first time. But when we moved probably a year later, when we actually came here, I never forget one of the things that really struck us culturally was that a lot of Christianity and, and even Christian culture in America, it was almost it was like synonymous with the kingdom of God. Interesting. So much yeah. so that even in some of the settings where we were in a worship setting, I would see Americans more passionate for their nation than they were for the kingdom of God and for mm. Jesus. And mm. say that with a sense of it was just something I'd never experienced before. Uh, not that you can't be patriotic in a healthy, balanced way, but I think certainly uh, that was one of those cultural things that we just observing. And then again, uh, just a watering down of another incident I never forget. And we're coming up to Super Bowl Sunday, where you're in the church uh, setting. <clears throat> yeah, we're going to finish the church service early. And I'm thinking, <laughs> yeah. oh, the Super Bowl must be at like one o'clock or something or two, not realizing it was going to be at yeah. six or whatever it was in the, in the evening. So some of those decisions, some of that cultural preference that you know pulls away from authentic Christianity was actually quite striking to us mm-hmm. coming into a culture. A lot of other things to do with language as well. Uh, but now I, I, I would say that part of where what we see, particularly through COVID, and even where we're at now, is a real pruning and sifting of mm. that which is really authentic and is part of the kingdom of where our roots are, starting with me, and that which was never really of God's kingdom, but was something of a religious manufactured nature mm-hmm. that God has, has exposed with the falling away. People not not just not attending church, but not really watching online anymore. That's yeah. an exposure where they're they were really at, but they were held together by things that went biblical and of the Holy Spirit, keeping them in these gatherings uh, and the pull of the world and, you know, circumstances has, has exposed all that and, and exposed where really our roots are yeah. uh, as Christians and even mm-hmm. as a nation. Yeah. What, what's a, what discourages you? Well, you've shared a little bit about that. Well, what what yeah. encourages you as a pastor in the states? Yeah, been yeah. For twenty years, what what's encouraging to you? And and as you so as you answer that, uh, talk a little bit about how that might affect your burden for England, because you must still have connections with people yeah. there. You have family there. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, just very quickly, what discourages me, just real quickly, is that. Despite COVID and some of the cultural, massive cultural shifts, there's still uh, a desire in a lot of the large parts of the evangelical church in America to go back to business as usual mm-hmm. with not really learning the lessons. What encourages me is that you know, this you know, millennial Gen X generation, uh, there's a real sense, just like me, you know, I must say I'm a, a throwback millennial or something, uh, a real desire for authenticity to say, mm-hmm. uh, you know, 
the, the show, the smoke machines, whatever else you parade on a Sunday morning. I just want to be in relationship with Jesus. Mm-hmm. I want to do life together with people. So I'm finding that's a huge encouragement in people who are like 40 and younger, particularly 20s, not all of them. And like me, just as you touched on uh, earlier, Mitch, people have an interest or a hunger, like you were saying, for, for, for God or for Jesus. What they don't want is religion and, and watered down and manufactured in hypocrisy. So there's a, there's an openness there still in the United Kingdom, like it was mm-hmm. when I lived there. But that's always going to be the case where we have to be very intentional about we're introducing people to Jesus. We're saying, hey, yes, there's hypocrisy. We can have that dialogue, but let's re- our conversation has got to come back to the nature, the perfection, the uniqueness of Christ. And I've yet to, both in the UK and even here, encounter people who can be really critical of him and his perfection, his teaching, his morality. Mm. And we have to remember that's what Christianity is about. It's about a person. It's not about let's yeah. get into the church. It's not about, you know, these other things that sin is very crafty in. So that's what I'm encouraged in, uh, in pressing into that. And rather than being pessimistic about trying to regain uh, make America great again or try to make the nation Christian, you can't enforce that or impose it from the top up. It's got to be through renewal, awakening in the church, revival mm-hmm. in the culture. Uh, and in the meantime, to know that this smaller, more authentic expression of Christianity is really what the culture is looking for. Uh, and if we only press into that and again do that in settings where people can connect rather than expect them to come to our buildings, but be more proactive and missional in going to the gym or meeting in places yeah. where, where they feel comfortable. Yeah. And then see yeah, the more organic expression, mm. which you saw when you were in that church plan back yeah. in bed. It's in this relational, non-religious settings, even when you met. Yeah, it's still, it's still the gathering of believers. You, yeah, you know, yeah, so, yeah, you've yeah, got to do it's that. So, yeah, the balance is amazing there because uh, you, you have the – the risk of it becoming, you know, ritualistic and cold. But, uh, you know, whenever I hear I have conversations like this or hear conversations like this, I I tighten up a little bit. So I, I like our balance here with this. But there there still has to be a place, a gathering, of course. you know, the, yeah. the, the, the coming together of believers to worship God, to to sing, to hear the word is, yeah, is so important. So we will not, we can't survive, you know, of the course. church can't survive without that. So as you, as you look from, you know, 20 years out, you still visit England, you're looking at it from the outside, but you're still, there's still a heavy sense of belonging there. Uh, what burdens you? You know, I, I it, it does me, I mean, it was, we were there only six, seven years and, my heart aches with what's happening, you know, politically, culturally there, you know, the Anglican church is, is almost ready to uh, sanction gay marriage. You know, they officially yeah. have come out and said no, but they're still, you know, permitting it. And on some levels. Um, so, yeah, I'd love to hear your heart on that. Yeah. Yeah. So still, you know, I was uh, 40 when I moved here. So a large part of my life was sure. spent in that, in that culture that I still love and particularly in the North, which is much more relational as you, you know, from your time there than, than the South of England. Uh, so still a burden. Some of the same things, I think, you know, some of the needs in the UK on a spiritual level are now becoming very, very evident in the United States. So mm-hmm. whether it's denominational trends 
uh, departing from the faith, from the authority and inherency of scripture, which is always the root issue in all of these shifts. It's it's elevating something other than the word of God. And even, and sorry to interrupt you, even the targeting of Christians, you know, you, you heard that story of a woman praying at an abortion clinic yeah. and the policeman comes up to her and says, are you praying? And she goes, yeah. well, I might be. And they end up arresting her because she was standing there praying. And I'm, I'm like, this yeah. is we're 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 seeing that sort of targeting of believer, you know, our faith here in the states, which in some ways exciting because we've been told that this will happen, yeah. you know. Right, but it has got worse. I mean, even from Franklin Green being over there, and some of again, what is misrepresentation about a politic a biblical worldview on, on marriage or whatever it may be without injecting that you hate someone or despise them. You know, the nature of the gospel is we're all fallen to a greater or lesser extent in, in our sin and depravity and need redemption and forgiveness. Uh, and I, I read a little story of Chick-fil-A who tried to open a restaurant and then they were kicked out of the country because at that time, you know, still to a degree now, but they've shifted somewhat uh, at a strong stance on, you know, Marriage, marriage mm-hmm. and they went allowed to open up the United Kingdom. So it's become much more targeted, just like the lady I did see that piece. It wasn't even praying out loud, it just quietly yeah. targeting Christianity and at the expense of which was happening when I lived there, you know, favoring Islam, which was is the still probably the fastest growing religion, preference in Islam, but really, you know, and even Muslims speaking out in defense of Christians, where they're saying you can't put a cross on a hot cross bone anymore because it might offend whoever or even the Muslims and then well we're not offended <laughs> by this. So increasingly more then it's just called it's who, called a hot bun then if the Yeah, yeah, and targeting of Christianity and, and that latest yeah. expression what you cited to do with the woman who's just stood silently praying and getting arrested mm-hmm. and taken away is, is tragic on every level. But it shows yeah. the spiritual climate and the spiritual warfare and the intensity of the darkness which Again, yeah. as we both agree, it's moving more quickly. One thing I would say, Mitch, I think you might find this interesting that I've said a number of times. When I arrived in America, one of the things that struck me was, hey, there's huge freedoms here and you know, for, for people to fulfill the American dream because of the culture and, and just the way it has been historically uh, positioned for people to prosper and to grow. But my observation when I arrived, I said this to Vivian, I said, even though you can really thrive and things can grow and freedoms are here, if the culture shifts in a more negative evil direction, then it will mean because it doesn't have the restrictions of Europe, that evil will spread much more quickly because you mm-hmm. don't have the checks and balances built into yeah. the culture to restrict. And that's that's why we're seeing a lot of what's came into the rest of the Western world. This came out of America, wokeism, some of these trans, trans, transgender, whatever language we want to speak about. That has moved much more quickly through American culture than it would have done in other, and actually has overtaken some parts of Europe. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, that's here. Yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah, and yeah, for you, to, for you to again, twenty years, see so much change in in the states, and then even seeing that it's outpaced there. Uh, that's phenomenal. What what contact do you still have with family and friends there, and and also uh, how many of your family are are believers now? Yeah, so uh, my sister, I refer to her, is still a believer. 
Uh, most of my family, particularly my wife's family, are still not believers. She's got mm. a niece who loves the Lord. Uh, we still have contact. We try to go back visiting every two years. I've been doing some ministry there. I still have a, a lot of contact with churches in the in the region where I was mm-hmm. uh, pa- pastoring and planting churches with the Christian Missionary Alliance. But you know, I actually took a team 14 years ago from Florida to do a uh, missions trip for two weeks where we went with five different churches, two alliance, three non-alliance. Actually went to your previous church in Birchwood. Uh, so still have family ties and even ministry openings uh, that I hope to explore as well in the future uh, yeah. as well. That's wonderful. So, so, yeah, so when you visit, it's very intentional, you know, for, for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And even after, you know, COVID, well, we we went back there and had to go through a bunch of hoops to actually get back in the country. Mm-hmm. Primary motivation in that, Mitch, for what my wife and I is, hey, we don't know prophetically where things are going. And in the midst of that, hey, we might not have an opportunity to go back. Who knows yeah. how it's yeah. going to shift and restrict travel. China is a prime example of that and, and even other nations. So we went back primarily to share the gospel and praying for opportunity to do that. We took some vacation time, but that was the main motivation. Yeah. Oh, good. Well, this has been a great conversation, Glenn. It's wonderful to, uh, I mean, even for me, as well as I know you, to to yeah. hear parts of your story that uh, I don't think I had heard before, but then a lot of it to be reminded. It, it's a story of the, the providence and grace of God. And yeah, I hope it, inc- you know, for the pastor who's discouraged, just to be reminded that God's always at work and, yeah, and don't underestimate the, what he's still doing when uh, to you, it might seem like a a, uh, a hard time, and you might be up against the wall. And so, I, I know that that's one of the benefits that will come from this. Uh, so, this is a new question I'm asking people I'm interviewing. If if you had the if you were interviewing me in a similar theme, the similar topic, what one question would you ask me? Yeah, I'd, I'd be asking you know, again. You touched on this earlier on. Some of the things that. You'd learned from the other way around, you know, when mm-hmm. you went to the UK, mm. from language to culture, what was it that struck you and wow. what you had to yeah. adjust to? Yeah, I was I was surprised in the time we were there how open, I alluded this to earlier, how, how open people were to the gospel. Um, mm-hmm. I also was surprised how our, and again, I'm, I'm very careful in saying this because it can be misinterpreted as, like we were key to people's, you know, discipleship or the sustaining of their faith. But when, you know, we had to leave England because of the crisis in our family. And, right. um, you know, my wife and I and even our kids had just an, just a real deep connection with a lot of people there, even people who weren't believers. Um, but it, it, it was an end to a ministry that was abrupt and, and and premature there was there was no you know real closure an opportunity to kind of finish the task and right. and so i i probably I, I continue to live you know 20 years after this with uh uh i want to say confusion about all of that you know because when you enter in a ministry you assume uh, that god's blessing and he's affirming he's using you and there's so many pieces of my story that I can look back and say, that's messed up. It doesn't make sense. Um, it went the other way. You know, people came to faith, were baptized, right. but then they fell away. 
you know, yeah. and so I, I live, but what that does is I've had time to really, uh, you know, think about this and to, you know, because I do tell people that a lot of things have happened to us messes with my theology, you know, um, but it makes me more in awe of who God is. You know, I'm, I'm overwhelmed with the, right. the, the mystery of providence, the mystery of sovereignty. And uh, I was even reminded this morning and read, I, I'm reading a little bit of a, of someone's book um, on, on Reformed theology. And, and he said, even when we get to heaven, actually Martin Luther that said this, he's quoting Martin Luther, that even when we get to heaven, we're going to continue to be in awe of the, right. the, the mystery of God. You know, we tend to think when we get to heaven, it's like, oh, now we get it. You know, all those questions right. we had about God. No, we're going to be, yeah. because we're going to be in his presence, mm-hmm. there's going to be more that's amazing and, and yeah. indescribable, you know. Uh, so, so that's, uh, that, that's, yeah, great question and hopefully a adequate answer to that. Yeah. Excellent. Uh, Glenn, what, what would you say to a pastor right now or ministry leader, uh, just to, just to encourage them? Yeah, I think, uh, as I alluded to earlier, we can look at the past. We can try to regain the past. We can spend a lot of time wishing things would go back for a lot of cultural reasons, but the, mm-hmm. the reality is, uh, the church was becoming increasingly unattractive to the culture around it in America anywhere because mm-hmm. of its watered-down Christianity, consumer Christianity, whatever we want to call that. What God is doing intentionally is pruning, is sifting, is revealing, is pushing mm-hmm. his bride to stand out for all the right reasons. We want to be part of God's plan, embracing that, knowing that uh, it's always going to be an offense to the cross, but... Those people like you met in the UK who are open, who are looking for authentic Christianity, not religion, but but people who actually know Jesus is what God's plan has been all along. We just need Mm -hmm. to get in step with him and press into it and not be pessimistic, but be open to uh, be more missional in our thinking and go and see more creative expressions of what the church looks like in different settings, always gathering, like you said, always having leadership accountability structure but uh, really pressing into that with expectation uh, because the human heart hasn't changed. People are still looking yeah. Yeah. at mm. the creator. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And Christ has not changed and the gospel has not Amen. changed. And Amen. we have the privilege to to offer that. Glenn, thank you so much. This has been a great conversation. I know it's yeah, going to encourage. It's going to encourage my two listeners. I know it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Thank you. So All right. Much. Lord bless you, my friend. Bye-bye. Well, there you have it. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Before You Quit podcast. If you have any questions or comments about anything that we've talked about today or from any of our other podcasts, uh, I'd love for you to email me at mitch at beforeyouquit.us. So until next time, stay encouraged and be courageous because serving Jesus is worth all of that hard stuff that comes with it. And remember what we're told in 1 Corinthians 15, 57 through 58, but thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So until next time, stay encouraged. 